Funding for Here and Now Anytime comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. Hi, this is Here and Now Anytime, where we give you a little news, a little something you weren't expecting, and always a fresh, in-depth perspective on current events, arts and culture, and stories that matter. Subscribe or follow to get all our episodes out every weekday. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend about us to help spread the word. Now here's the show. This is not just about bad employers. This is about failing American families by our government. More than 120 countries guarantee paid leave for new parents. The U.S. is not one of them. It's Tuesday, January 30th, and this is Here and Now Anytime from NPR and WBUR Boston. I'm Chris Bentley. Today on the show, a PR debacle at Kite Baby renews calls for paid family leave. And as Congress debates measures to restrict immigration, a new book argues our deportation rules are already too strict. We all mess up. We all have our worst moments. And right now, immigration law ties migrants to their worst moments. But they're more than those moments. Welcome the wretched in defense of the criminal alien. Coming up in about 15 minutes. But first... Taste the Rainbow. That's the tagline for Skittles, one of the most popular candies in the U.S. And sure, you're tasting lime, strawberry, and grape, but also, it turns out, something called titanium dioxide, a compound that helps whiten some colors. Not to pick on Skittles, titanium dioxide is one of many common food additives that you can find in all kinds of things you're eating. But that might not be the case for long where I live, in Illinois, now that some state lawmakers here want to follow California's lead and ban it, along with some other food additives that some say are linked to health problems. And it sets up a showdown with the Federal Food and Drug Administration. They've looked at titanium dioxide and found no safety concerns in the available studies. For more, we called up Helena bottomiller Evich. She's the founder and editor of the publication Food Fix, and she told Deepa Fernandez that Illinois is considering banning five common additives. There's brominated vegetable oil, more commonly known as BVO, potassium bromate, propyl paraben, red dye number three, and also titanium dioxide. All of these additives have been either banned or very strictly limited in Europe. The research for each of them is, is different, but just to give you one example, red dye number three was actually banned from cosmetics by FDA in 1990 over cancer concerns. And each of these has their kind of own debates about the state of the science. But for other regulators in other countries, there have been enough questions and enough concerns to go ahead and ban them. Mm. So what kind of foods are they showing up in? Like we mentioned Skittles. Uh, Where else are we seeing some of these food additives? So titanium dioxide is a really common whitening or brightening agent. So it might be used in something like ranch dressing or a frosting to make it whiter or brighter. Um, For candies, it's used to brighten the color, and it's pretty common. The Environmental Working Group estimates that 
the additives that are trying to be banned by both Illinois and also California, which just banned four of these, are used in thousands and thousands of products in the U.S. So who is against this? Why would we not want to ban them if there are serious questions about them and their health impact and they're banned in other countries? So it's a really interesting debate. Basically, right now we have industry groups particularly saying that, you know, this is a question for the Food and Drug Administration. This is a federal question. So they don't like the idea that states would be deciding which additives are banned or not in the U.S. The state leaders that I've talked to say, look, you know, FDA has been really slow to act or even re-review the safety of some of these additives, and they're tired of waiting. So they're kind of taking matters into their own hands. So back in Illinois, Democrats control the levers of power. Do you think this is likely to pass there, given that? And, and if so, what effect will this have, given that California is the other very populous state to have already done so? Yeah, I think it's fairly likely to pass in Illinois. If it does, it'll be interesting then to watch, you know, do industry groups challenge this in court? Do they try to argue that maybe there's federal preemption here, right, that the that Illinois doesn't have the right to do this? That kind of an argument could end up all the way in the Supreme Court. I mean, these are some really big legal questions about what states have the right to do. And it could be a while before it's settled, but this puts a lot of pressure on FDA to re-review some of these chemicals. And in one case, in the case of um, brominated vegetable oil or BVO, which California just banned, FDA has actually recently proposed pulling that from the market. So in some of these, FDA may end up banning them. Uh, In some cases, they may end up affirming the safety. So a lot of eyes are on FDA now. Helena, how much do you think we, the regular consumers, actually know about this? I mean, I feel like in California, we're probably a little more educated because we've been through the process. But I I imagine there's many people out there who just want to eat a healthy salad dressing and not have chemicals in it or, you know, want their kids to have candy that isn't, you know, potentially hazardous to their health. I think consumers don't put a, a whole lot of thought into what the individual ingredients are. There's just this this hope or this, I guess, trust. Um, trust that we have, right, that regulators are on top of this. And one of the big criticisms of FDA in recent years has been that the agency just hasn't been as active in this area. Um, the agency is definitely shifting their stance and taking a much more active role, trying to, you know, make sure that anything that's on the market where there are concerns that FDA is taking a look at that. And so I think we will see a more active position from that agency. And consumers, frankly, expect that that's the position that FDA is already taking, right? We sort of assume that that's the case. And so this is an area to watch for sure for, for consumers that are concerned about, you know, what they're consuming and what the ingredients mean. Food policy journalist Helena Bodomila-Evich, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Coming up next, it's not just what goes in our food. The U.S. also bucks trends in other countries when it comes to family leave. There's no federal guarantee for paid family leave in this country, but there is some momentum in Washington to change that. Deepa has more when we return.
This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit their website to get a quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. Then just choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Bluehost. Try Bluehost Cloud, the hosting plan made for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, fast load times, and 24-7 support, your sites can handle high traffic spikes. Visit Bluehost.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. A terrible mistake. That's how the head of a popular baby clothing brand described her decision to not accommodate a new mother's request to work remotely while her newborn baby was in intensive care. Kite Baby CEO Ying Lu apologised publicly to her former employee, Marissa Hughes, twice after families called for a boycott of the company. Here's Lu in a video posted on TikTok earlier this month. I was insensitive, selfish, and was only focused on the fact that her job was um, had always been done on site and I did not see the possibility of doing it remotely. However, having a little bit of sensitivity, understanding and flexibility would have accommodated her, but I did not accommodate her. Lou also said she had a change of heart to let Hughes work remotely while she cares for her baby boy that she adopted in December. Hughes told Today.com she has no plans to return to that company. The story's become a flashpoint over a systemic issue for caregivers that goes beyond one company a lack of paid leave. Dawn Hucklebridge joins me now to help me connect the dots. She's the founding director of the nonprofit Paid Leave for All. She's here in the studio. Dawn, welcome to Here and Now. Thank you so much for having me. So in the case of Kite Baby, they didn't do anything illegal, but the situation has upset parents that felt connected to this brand. Tell us what your reaction has been. You're correct. They did not do anything illegal. But I think, as we can tell from the reaction nationwide, they did something most people consider egregious. But what's important about this is it's often been framed as bad optics for a bad actor, when in fact, they are not an outlier. Mm. And as it stands now, in the wealthiest country in the world, only one in four working people has paid family leave at all through their jobs. And that might surprise some people, and maybe not, but I want you to lay out for us where we are in the U.S. when it comes to paid family leave, because I imagine that one in four is coming from an employer. Exactly. Yep, that is from the employer. So as it stands right now, we are one of only seven countries in the world that guarantees no form Mm. of federal paid leave for its workers. And in fact, nearly half of the workforce does not even have the guarantee of unpaid leave through FMLA. So this has been a crisis for decades, to be honest. FMLA, the Family Medical Leave Act. So what are you actively advocating for now in terms of paid leave on the federal level, Dawn? We are advocating for a comprehensive paid family and medical leave law. 
we are an outlier. Um, as we said, this is not just about bad employers. This is about failing American families by our government. So we are fighting. There has been some historic momentum. We came really close to getting it passed in 2021 via the Build Back Better Act and framework. Um, we're just within a vote or two of, of making that the law of the land. So we are hoping that this is still within reach. That's what we're fighting for, because uh, as it stands right now, we are not meeting the demands of a 21st century economy or our families. Who is opposed to this, Dawn? Where is the pushback coming from? It's a great question because I often say I would love to see the politician who looks you in the eye and says they are against a parent being home with their newborn baby or the worker who should be fired after a horrible injury. Um, so this is wildly popular. Uh, we know this from polling across the country. But I think it's, you know, a few different systemic issues about partisanship, uh, disagreement over the role of government and government spending. And also, I would say, some just deeply embedded sexism and racism in our system as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a move in some of those one in four employers that you mentioned actually provide parental leave. So that's regardless of the gender of the caregiver. But I'm wondering if you feel like there is political momentum right now to make paid leave actually happen. You mentioned you came close with um, Build Back Better, but there are so many competing priorities right now. It's also a time when we see Congress not wanting to approve a budget. How do you make this a priority? I think it's about continuing to build political power, political will, which I think we are we are doing. We're on the road to. We've seen the first ever bipartisan working group on paid leave in Congress, actually, just launched last year, along with a dad's caucus committed to getting it done. Um, we've seen more and more champions pop up in Congress. I actually think there, I have yet to read it. I saw it on my walkover. There is a new bill introduced today that I've yet to go through. But there is absolutely momentum. And I think this is about continuing to build the political will until it's the law of the land. And and I imagine there's an economic case for this as well. Make that really quickly. Absolutely. We know for employers, this improves productivity, performance, profitability. But more so, I would say, if we pass paid leave in this country, along with other care policies, we know from research that it would yield millions of jobs, billions in wages, and trillions in GDP. So there is really nothing to lose. In fact, we lose a lot by the the cost of inaction. And Dawn, you're a mother. You're a millennial with aging parents. How would paid leave have helped you in the past, or how are you thinking about it in your future? I think about it like many of my peers across this country, that there is going to be a crush when we are still caring for children. We will increasingly be caring for parents and family members. And right now, there are no policies in place to support us. And it's going to be a growing crisis, particularly as baby boomers age, if we don't have any federal intervention. Dawn Hucklebridge, founding director of the nonprofit Paid Leave for All. Dawn, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Coming up, that immigration bill that members of both parties are eager to pass reportedly has some pretty tough revisions to laws about who's allowed to be an American. Things like a potential cap on asylum seekers. And while there's agreement in the Senate, its chances of passing the House look slim because former President Trump is lobbying Republicans there to spike it so he can keep campaigning on the state of the southern border. But our next guest says the U.S. is already too harsh on people seeking a new life here, and that the history of immigration law shows that notion of rewarding immigrants who do it the right way or play by the rules has never been applied equally. Deepa has more after the break. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Project Lead the Way. Today's world is driven by STEM. At Project Lead the Way, they believe learning by doing helps every student in every grade be STEM successful. Learn more at pltw.org slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mattress Firm. Do you get the quality sleep you need? Mattress Firm will find you the right bed for your best rest with their wide selection of quality mattresses at every price. Get matched at Mattress Firm's Memorial Day sale. Sleep at night. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Congress continues to debate legislation that would limit immigration across the southern border. Now, a new book envisions a very different change to immigration law. In Welcome the Wretched, immigration lawyer and Ohio State University professor Cesar Juatemoc Garcia Hernandez argues that immigration policy should be separate from the criminal justice system, that criminal offences should not automatically lead to deportation. And crossing the border without permission should not in itself be considered a crime. As he writes, those policies run contrary to the history of immigration in the country. The book, Welcome the Wretched, is out today. And joining me now is author Cesar Cuatemoc Garcia Hernandez. Cesar, welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. What you're writing about in your book is really a history of how we came to this place where the criminal justice system and the immigration law system intermingle so much. You write that contrary to the refrain that Democrats and Republicans can't agree on immigration policies, that in fact both parties, and I'm quoting you here, have wielded the criminal legal system as a weapon against immigrants. Tell me more. Whether it's Republicans like Donald Trump or Democrats like Barack Obama or Joe Biden, we see time and again whoever occupies the White House embrace this idea that a run-in with the criminal legal system is one run-in too many and and a useful marker of undesirability, of unfitness for life in the United States, when in reality, of course, There is crime all around us and nothing to do with citizenship and everything to do with the fact that people mess up. As somebody who has spent most of his adult life working in college campuses, I'm well aware of the fact that there is crime happening in college dorm rooms on a daily basis. And it's not always low-level offenses. Sometimes it's violence. Sometimes it's uh, sexual assaults and um, hard use of drugs. And the reality is there's very few instances in which the police are barging into dorm rooms and breaking down doors to arrest criminal undergraduates. And that's all because of the fact that the activity is happening in protected privileged spaces. It's no less criminal, uh, but some people are being arrested and prosecuted and convicted. And if you're not a U.S. citizen, potentially deported for it. 
And, you know, I think it's, especially in today's climate, it's a hard argument to make that if a non-citizen commits a crime, that they shouldn't be deported. But what I appreciate about how you're making this is you're giving us some history. You trace many of the early ways the legal system was used to criminalize immigrants and keep certain people out. You know, some of them I feel like we know, like the Chinese Exclusion Act, but there are many others. And you point out so many immigrants would break these laws, but race was a determining factor in who would be punished. I wonder if you can briefly tell us the story of James J. Davis, who immigrated as an eight-year-old boy and would go on to be the secretary of labor. He comes to the United States impoverished, uh, comes with his mom, his dad's already here, he's coming with his younger siblings, and then he goes on to attain a good amount of political power later in, in life, and he turns back and he says, look, the world is divided into what he says, the rat people and the beaver people, and the beaver people are those, those migrants from northern and western Europe, like him and his family, those rat people are those southern and eastern Europeans, those Asians who are trying, hoping to come to the United States. And, and, and he, he does what's familiar. We turn around and, and see that, that the folks who are coming after us are worse than us. They're different from us. And that's a phenomenon that happens all over U.S. history. Yeah, there is a, a law that you point out that in 1865, a law criminalizing poor immigrants that would have applied to his family, but no one chased them down for it. Yeah, there were state laws at the time. His father ends up in, in Ohio, and Ohio actually had a law that said, look, if you were coming here and you were too poor to sustain yourself, we could essentially deport you. We could force you to go back to whatever state you came from. And his father is out of work. Um, he went to Ohio because that's where his brother lived, and the family comes, and they don't have any money, and, and yet no one enforced that law. Um, and mm. had James come just a few months later, there would have been a federal law applied that would have kept away people just like his mother and him and his siblings, and yet he, he insists that his family are those beavers that make America great. You also devote space to a South Carolinian politician, Coleman Livingston Bleese. He was a white supremacist whose impact on immigration laws and criminalization is still felt deeply today, as he was the man behind making entry without papers a federal crime punishable with prison time. Tell us about Bleese and what you call legislating racism in the 1920s. This was a man who embraced lynching, who embraced attacks on, on migrants for wherever they were coming from. And when he gets to the, the United States Senate, he joins forces with other members of Congress who are also um, opposed to migrants from Southern and Eastern Europe and Asia and Mexico, because at that point, Congress had not been able to muster the political resources necessary to push through a law that would limit Mexican migration. And so Cole Bleese hmm. um, ends up being the person who, who introduces and pushes forward the law that eventually, in 1929, is the first time that we actually criminalize coming to the United States without the government's permission. And that law is still on the books almost a century later. And, and how would you answer to people, Cesar, who say, but you shouldn't be able to come to the U.S. without papers. There should be some kind of punishment or there should be a law that stops that. I'd say why? Why should there be? Because for most of the early part of the history of the United States, there were no laws that did so. And when Congress started to enact those laws, people left and right started to violate those laws, whether it's folks who, who are um, uh, like James Davis, who 
entering Ohio and making a life there in violation of, uh, or simply because no one bothered to enforce a state law, whether it's folk like, like my wife's grandmother, who, whose family came from Italy in the early part of the 20th century, and who did so almost certainly in violation of immigration laws that existed then. And you know what? I'm glad that they did, because that's the reason why I met my wife here in the mm. United States. And that's the story that resonates throughout families in every corner of this country. And one of the things that you point out is that, you know, punishment or immigration law actually being applied is quite unfair. You use Justin Bieber and uh, 21 Savage, two big time famous musicians, to tell a story about racism and immigration justice. Justin Bieber is somebody who's well known for driving quickly, fast through through cities, for, for engaging in all kinds of well-publicized run-ins with the law, less so now as he's matured. 21 Savage was picked up by Immigration and Customs Enforcement agents, detained and put into deportation proceedings. Both of them are citizens of other countries, Justin Bieber, Canada, uh, 21 Savage, the UK, but one of them, Justin Bieber, is white, and one of them, 21 Savage, is not. And yet, we don't see ICE going after Justin Bieber under his the blaring sounds and neon lights of his, his performances. They know exactly where to find them, just like they knew exactly where to find 21 Savage. They did go after 21 Savage. Unfortunately, he was able to find a great lawyer who was able to get him out of prison and actually win that deportation case not too long ago. And we should point out that 21 Savage doesn't have a criminal conviction on his record. But it's not just Justin Bieber. Tell us what the data shows about Canadians, because I found it very interesting that Canadian citizens are likely bigger breakers of one immigration rule than most any other nationalities, and that is visa overstay. You can violate immigration law in all kinds of ways. And one of the ways that politicians like to focus on is the folks who come into the United States without the government's permission. But another way of violating immigration law is coming here with the government's permission for a short period of time. Maybe that's vacation. Maybe that's a study. But then you're supposed to leave. And we see that every single year, the government's own statistics tell us that tens of thousands of Canadians do not leave when they are supposed to leave. And that means they are violating immigration law. But we don't see immigration officials going out and arresting and detaining and trying to deport Canadians. Instead, we see all those immigration law enforcement resources focused on the southern border, trying Mm -hmm. to keep out the Latin Americans and the Africans and the folks from the Caribbean who are trying to come to the United States, sometimes also in violation of immigration law, but violation of immigration law that has exactly the same consequences as the way that the Canadians do it. So, Cesar, you end with a call for us to reimagine citizenship. Tell me what a new kind of relationship with immigrants looks like to you, especially in this time when immigrants are the least likely to receive empathy as the tough on immigrant policies ratchet up. For most of the history of the United States, we had the criminal law system that dealt with people who might have committed a crime. And then separately, we had immigration rules. And those two very rarely met. That was true up until just the last few decades. And so what I'm asking members of Congress for all of the the folks who who are engaged with, with politics and law in the United States is to you know, think about whether we can, again, divorce those two so that we can just allow folks to be the imperfect human beings that they are because the reality is 
we all mess up. We all have our worst moments. And right now, immigration law ties migrants to their worst moments, but they're more than those moments. They're also parents and workers and community leaders. And that has nothing to do with their citizenship and everything to do with their humanity. Cesar Huatemoc Garcia Hernandez's book is Welcome the Wretched in Defense of the Criminal Alien. Cesar, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure, Deepa. And if you want to check out more from Welcome the Wretched in Defense of the Criminal Alien, we've got an excerpt of the book at hereandnow.org. That'll do it for us today. This show comes from the team behind Here and Now from NPR and WBUR Boston. Today's stories were produced by Lynn Menegon, Ashley Locke, and Emiko Tamagawa. Today's editors were Todd Munt, Peter O'Dowd, Micaela Rodriguez, and Kat Welch. Technical direction from Mike Moschetto and Caleb Green. Mike Moschetto also wrote our theme music, along with Max Liebman and me, Chris Bentley. Our digital producers are Allison Hagen and Grace Griffin. And the executive producer of Here and Now is Carlene Watson. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This message comes from NPR sponsor Linda Mood Bell. Linda Mood Bell's summer instruction for reading, comprehension, and math can help students catch up or get ahead. Summer instruction is designed to help children feel more confident, prepared, and excited about learning and school in the fall. Linda Mood Bell's evidence-based approach is individualized for all types of students with challenges that affect learning, including dyslexia. Learn more at lindamoodbell.com NPR. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth? Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts.